Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Printing, grand format printer to the trade. GCI is not your average print shop. They pride themselves on providing you a fast, stress-free experience when outsourcing. Their no excuses mindset means no matter the job, they'll have it done every time. No other vendor will go to the links that GCI does to ensure you're a satisfied customer. To hear more about their approach to business, hop back into the archives to episode nine, where the guys and I interview owner TJ Bedact about top tier customer experience. If you're looking for a high quality trade printer for banners, mesh, coreplast, and more, TJ and his crew will have your back. For jobs big or small, GCI does them all. Check them out at printgci.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the next episode of the Better Side Shop podcast. I've got my co-host, as always, Peter Karunas, the Sign Shop Yoda. Pete, how are you, sir? Pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, no longer sick. Getting ready to uh, ring in the holiday season here, finish up here with a couple of decorations. I am working on my first... Christmas life-sized wooden soldier. Now, now hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. Because when you go down this rabbit hole, it's a long journey. Okay? Uh, With my sign shop experience and using all raw materials, I've been able to build a seven-foot wooden soldier for my kids. And they are absolutely in love with it. Now... I'm not finished. It's I will reveal the finished product on Christmas Eve. But this thing is huge. It's made out of all raw materials. There's nothing bought from, you know, a supplier. I'm using like those uh you know like those banner tubes and the vinyl rolls for its arms and legs and doing it very sparingly but it is coming out looking awesome i'm I, i'm excited to see it now dude i, I yeah, can I'm imagine using, like I'm your using, kids are stoked for it i'm using some of my uh experience working with raspberry pies and i, I got some of the christmas music playing I got, oh no I, I got his arms gonna move a little bit his eyes are gonna have led lights in it it i'm 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 like i said you go down a deep like I said, you can go down a deep rabbit hole and make like uh, a very nice put together wooden soldier to the point where it's like, man, can I sell this thing? Like, can oh, can no. can I make? Don't do these? it! Don't do and, it! And can I make a business out of this? And, and and in a lot of regards, that's a great segue into today's uh, episode. Here is what and what we're going to be talking about with our guests about like how you, how easy it is to take something. And make another business model out of it. Dude, and, almost like a yeah, byproduct. Maybe, maybe this time of the year, I'm thinking about selling seven foot wooden soldiers. Wooden soldiers. Yeah, yeah, that's, maybe, that's a good market. Maybe, man. That, maybe that could be my new franchise business. Who knows? <laughs> I tried that once with cornhole boards. Like we built a set using our flatbed printer. Like we had some half inch birch. Yeah, uh, you know, real smooth finish. Uh, we printed it direct on the flatbed, so you can still see the wood grain coming through on the ink. Oh, and then we, cool. uh, like, we built these cornhole boards, and then we made the mistake of having a client come in. They were like, "Holy crap! Did you guys make these?" And we we're like, "Yeah, we did." And they were like, "Okay, let, I, I'm, I'm do- smashing records in our business. Um, this was a, a coal mine at the time. Uh, they were smashing records in their business. They were like, "Hey." I want to order 35 sets of these for my guys. So being, you know, like the, the sign guys we were, 
can you guys make those for us? Yeah, of course we can. Great. So then the sign shop turned into wood shop for like two weeks or a week. I can't remember how long it took us to produce those, but it's a, a lesson that I learned of, you know, of, you know, just because it's fun on the surface doesn't mean it's necessarily profitable <laughs> on the back end. Profitability, fun, it all goes into it, right? I mean, I think I have a similar story. It wasn't quite cornhole boards. My, my ex-business partner, he wanted to make uh, cutting boards, engraved cutting boards, you know, and... I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure you can get that like in any store or online store. But it's amazing the raw materials that we use here in the sign industry with the tools that we have, how much is really capable to generate revenue in other ways. It could be it could be acrylic plaques, it could be cornhole boards, it could be wooden soldiers. <laughs> wooden soldiers. Sneeze guards from during the pandemic, oh. right? Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. How can I forget about that? How easy was it to like laser cut acrylic to make sneeze guards, uh, like face shields, whatever, whatever it was in bulk. I mean, you can really do a lot, and that's what we're going to be talking about here today, right? Yeah, yeah. Without further ado, let's bring on our guest. All right, guys, we are back with today's guest, Paul Gardner of Sign Enterprise and like 35 other businesses that, that I find fascinating. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Super happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So you and I have uh, chased each other to get you onto the podcast for a long time. Um, really enjoyed all the conversations that we've had leading up to this and like every time that we chat you've started something new you got your hands in something new you know i was just telling peter about a few of those things before we jumped on but for the audience you know give us your story give us the story of sign enterprise just for some context sure so uh this is actually busy season for me because all of my businesses are busy right now <laughs> and uh i originally started out in the sign business I got into the sign business. It was it was kind of a uh, a hobby more than anything. I was uh, I I used to race go karts when I was a kid, and then I graduated into racing uh, cars. And if you know anything about the racing industry, you're constantly tearing up stuff. So you're constantly going into the sign shop, the local sign shop. And uh, <laughs> so I got familiar with printers and plotters and whatnot. So. You know, this is in my youth. This is as a teenager. And I, I, I was using this local sign shop and uh, I would go in there and, you know, just try to make it as cheap as possible. So I, I started designing stuff myself, which I probably made it hard on him. Um, it's kind of funny because the guy that owned that sign shop uh, did work for me up until a year ago. He, he retired, but he uh, I bought him. I bought his company out later. But Anyways, uh, I, I probably made it really hard on him, but I tried to design my own stuff. I'd come in there, you know, with the the idea and the concept, and I would tell him, "Hey, don't worry about it. I'll weed the vinyl. Just give me, give me every, you know." I would try to make it as absolutely cheap as possible. And back then, you know, people weren't printing; they were airbrushing <laughs> to get the effect. You know, that's what they were doing. Sure. And so it was a whole other, you know, talk about labor intensive. It was major labor. Let me ask you one question before you yeah. continue. Did you ask him to sponsor you? <laughs> yeah, I did a million times. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I started hating race car drivers after I became a sign yeah. guy. <laughs> it's funny because uh, uh, you, I had all these friendships within the racing world. And, of course, when I opened a sign shop, I realized who my real friends were because most of them did not want to pay. You know, I was like, yeah. man, I could sponsor every one of y'all and be broken in two months. So. Yeah. No, that's an yeah. awesome origin story, man. I love it. That That's where it kind of started. And then... Um, I was just looking for, uh, you know, a, a summer job, uh, ended up working at a, a, a transportation company and that transportation company was hiring a sign company from New York every year to come. They would buy a hundred trailers every, every summer. And those hundred trailers were getting, you know, decals were being installed by this company out of New York. And so I looked at the owner, I said, I know how to install those graphics. I had no idea what I was getting into because I'm thinking, okay, I've done race cars and go-karts. I can do this, not thinking about the fact that these are 53 foot trailers, but you know, and again, this is back before printers, you know, were relevant and there wasn't before the air aggress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
and and we were using you know hardcore 3m reflective vinyls it was it was intense um but i got i became a really good installer i mean obviously i learned the hardest way you could possibly learn how to install vinyl but um i got really good at it and i got out when i when i finished college my wife and i got married it was it was just about a month before we got married and i was working in corrections and i hated it i just hated corrections and yeah, I was working at six at night till six in the morning. I had twelve hour shift, and we live in Virginia. My wife works in D.C. at the time, and she was leaving work by six a.m., not getting home till six p.m. And so I was like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna end up in a divorce our first year because we don't see each other but like three times a month." <laughs> yeah, right. so it's like this is terrible. And so I said something to a buddy of mine. I said, "I'd love to start a sign company if I had money," and yeah. You know, that's just my thought because I have no idea how to start a business. And I looked at him. I go, your parents know all about starting businesses. Maybe they can help us because they ha- owned a carpet business. So all of a sudden, he's my partner. Well, that lasted one week. <laughs> he fell <laughs> out. He doesn't want to do it. He just wants to stay at home. And I end up borrowing $5,000. And I bought a used plotter um, and some equipment. And that's how I got my start. And so move forward, you know, 20 plus years. Since then, I've acquired um, six sign companies, um, companies that usually were struggling, having problems. I hired them for their people and brought the owners in. And then I also acquired some companies that were doing fairly well, just the, the, the ownership was at the point of retirement. And so that helped me, you know, grow quickly. And then through the sign industry, just like we were speaking about before, it's like, if you learn the sign industry, you could pretty much get into any industry. And since then, I've started um, a few different companies. Um, I did end up purchasing a, a design-build landscape company. We do a lot of entrance monument signs. And so we were hiring the masons to come in and do all that work. And we were doing the landscape. And we were doing the whole package. So we were hiring and outsourcing that work. So what I decided to do is just bring that internal. And so I was able to buy a company that had been around for 25 years locally. The owner retired. And um, I took that company over. And then I'm really big into the lighting industry here recently, and the announcement hasn't been made yet, but I just bought um, the largest permanent light uh, in, uh, company in, in the United States, and they're out of Texas. And I definitely am going to introduce this to the sign industry you know, in the, over the next year. It's something that the Christmas light industry, so I'm in the Christmas light industry, which if you know anything about the Christmas light industry, it's really blown up the last few years everyone's you know they even have television shows about it now so and no the, no short part of your own as well right like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 pretty fun and it's it's an intense business it's a whole nother dynamic of of people that you're dealing with but it's the same end result you know it's like you get the same kind of baggage you get the same kind of responses it's but it's a different it's a different vibe it's obviously seasonal uh, and then I also am in the landscape uh, lighting business. So all that led me to this permanent light uh, industry that I'm in now. And so now I'm, 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 I bought I mean, 50% of a company that has been around for uh, 11 years. And uh, the, the manufacturer is doing really well. They have been primarily selling to the Christmas light and landscape lighting industry. And so when I got my hands on it, I'm like, this is more sign business worthy because we have the equipment. And so I bought into the company specifically to push it to the the sign industry. And, you know, the sign business has definitely opened up a whole, you know, avenue of opportunities for me. And I've, I've, I've expanded the sign business along the way. And it's allowed me a lot of opportunities. I just, I, I embrace the opportunities. I've ha- I've had a lot more opportunities than I even speak of, but, you know, in the business, in the sign business, you work in business to business. So all you meet is business owners. And you constantly are, are, are being consumed with ideas. And so your mind just keeps running. And my, my mind runs nonstop. So. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly. No. Yeah. And I can't wait to get into all of those things. Um, if we back up to talk about like Sign Enterprise just, just for a little bit, like it, like roughly what's the, the size of the shop? What are you guys doing sales-wise? How many people do you have? So we have – I don't know the exact count of people because – we have three locations, but it's around 50, um, 50 employees. People. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, as far as sales, uh, our central location, which is our, our main location, we, we do between five and 10 million. So gotcha. okay. when all the sales come in, we'll be between five and 10. I think this year we're going to end up being around seven. 
no, okay. for the one location. So, gotcha. Yeah, as far as our, you know, as far as the way we work, so we have a central location, which is where I work out of. That's where we manufacture about ninety percent of our signage. We have gotcha. another location that really is just an office. That location yeah. is just south of us, about an hour, and then we have another location we manufacture about ten to fifteen percent of our signage. And uh, that location has, you know, uh, we have worked fully outfitted to manufacture, install, and we have offices there and we have sales reps out of there. So we, we, we separate the businesses for different reasons, but they contribute all as one company and they're right. all under one umbrella. Gotcha. And, and like, what type of projects are you guys doing? Like, you know, who are the clients that you work with? Um, you know, there's, there's obviously like various facets to the sign industry. So I just want to clarify for the listeners out there. So when I first got into the industry, honestly, my ideal client was the guy that wanted a cruise and a memory sticker on the back of his car <laughs> or <laughs> the, the race car driver who wanted a free sponsorship, you know, just from decals. Uh, I have definitely graduated past that point. And, you know, I, I enjoy the decal industry. I enjoy vinyl. I enjoy banners. I enjoy yard signs. There's a lot of money in that industry. But specifically in my area, what I noticed is there was um, a lack of good, knowledgeable professionals in the uh, lighting part of the industry, uh, the electrical more specifically. And at the time when I got into it, LED wasn't even really a thing. It was kind of coming into the horizon, but it was a thing that I started embracing early on and said, okay, I could see this take off in the sign industry. And I can remember specifically all the, the the locals were using neon and i can remember specifically talking to those guys and they all you know rejected the idea that led would take over and so i was like you know if i'm right on this and based on the technology you know that i'm seeing advances in this industry most of the time the old school sign guy gets stuck thinking he's right and i'm like it's probably the same thing in the lighting industry even though at the time i know nothing about lighting and so I'm like, I'm going to learn as much as I can about LEDs. So I went overseas. I went to China <laughs> out of all places. And I was like, I want to learn about LEDs as quickly as possible. And so if you've ever been over to China and you go to Guangzhou or Shenzhen, you'll be consumed with manufacturers in the lighting industry. I, I, I visited in about 10 days. I visited probably about 50 locations of manufacturers, different type of lighting manufacturers. And so wow. that opened my world up to the lighting industry. And so I got I got used and familiar with the terms early on that it, it when people were manufacturing this locally and in, in, in the sign shops, I was very familiar with what they, what they were producing and what was good quality, what wasn't. So that really gave me an advantage in that part of the industry. And um, I think from there, I don't know exactly when this happened, but I will say that I went to ISA, and I, I would say this is probably not that long ago, maybe about 12 years ago. So it was after I started the electrical. But, um, I mean, I guess 12 years is a long time. But um, it's, It goes by <laughs> so quick. For me, it, just, it seems like it was yesterday. But I can remember we went out to dinner one night, and I always I always laugh about this because we, we, were, um, we, we were sitting at a table outside on this balcony, and all these people were, and I was with a bunch of sign guys. Like I just got invited to this impromptu dinner with a bunch of sign guys. And I only knew like two or three of them. And uh, we're sitting on this balcony and all these people are flooding in. And I'm like, what's going on? And they were like, oh, there's going to be a Snoop Dogg concert. So I actually was, I called my wife. I'm like, I'm at a Snoop Dogg concert. I'm literally, I'm like, that's not my, you know, that's not my, my, my style. So my wife was, it was kind of funny because we were there for like two and a half hours at that table, but we literally had a front row seat. Snoop Dogg's like right underneath us. That's where the, the stage was. And sure enough, I, I got, they, the, the, the restaurant said, y'all are so lucky y'all get this table. Everybody wants this table. And, but our party was so big, they had to give us the table. But during those conversations, listening to Snoop Dogg, it was hard, but we listen. I, I listened intently. There was this guy, and I don't know him to this day. I can't remember his name, but I remember we were exchanging, and we were just sharing pricing, like what's your minimum pricing. And at the time, I don't know specifics about where I was and where he was, but I remember we were like night and day, and he specifically was like double what I was on his hourly rates, on his man rates, everything. And I was just like, okay, so why is that? Because this guy lives in a very you know, uh, rural area. He doesn't live in an area where it's um, overly populated with businesses. He said he has to drive for the average, you know, good business an hour. And here I am 
overwhelmed by business opportunities. I'm thinking to myself, that just doesn't make sense. And so when I told him that, he looked at me specifically and he said, Paul, you seem like a pretty smart guy. He goes, but man, your pricing is way too low. He goes, I'm telling you right now, you could get double for what you're producing, the knowledge you have. And I thought to myself, if this guy's right, then I'm really missing out. This is where the struggle is happening. So with without hesitation, I kid you not. I mean, this is that was the lecture I got. And that was like a weekend or whatever. I come back Monday morning and I doubled my prices. Overnight, I doubled my prices. Wow. <laughs> on a, across the board. And no exaggeration. People have asked me this a few times because I'm also I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a business coach and I coach businesses. And I tell them it's all in our heads how often we believe that, you know, if, if we're delivering, now this is what I always tell people, if you're delivering the exceptional service and you're giving people the type of experience they expect, you should be able to raise your prices and there shouldn't be any pushback. Because if you are attracting those type of clients that demand that type of service, they're willing to pay for it. And so at the time I was really, even though I was young and I was learning still, I was still delivering a much better product than the competition. I knew that. Like up here, I, I could tell. I was like, I'm confident what I'm delivering. But I well, wasn't you took confident. pride in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, did. like it, we talked to so many owners that do like they take deep pride in what they do every single day. And it shows that yeah. it's just, yeah, up here, though. Yeah. It's like I, mean, I, I wanted to be the best, Brian, just to be able to deliver to my clients because I know what I would expect. Right. And so I just examined myself daily and I was like, what can I do better? What can Paul Gardner do better to deliver? And so I tried to get all the education I could as much as I could as often as I could. And uh, when this guy told me this, I, 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 I went in and I, I looked at the girl in the office. I was like, all right, we need to double our prices. And she's like, what? I'm like, across the board. And I said, we're going to have a minimum rate. I do remember this part. Our minimum rate, now it's, now it's more. But our minimum rate at the time was going to be 325 So no matter what, we're going to be $325. And I don't know what we were at the time. I want to say we were only like $90, like $90, you know, something simple. And I said, we got to have a two hour minimum on every job we do. And so when we did that, we implemented that change immediately. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to sacrifice some business here. I'm going to lose some business, but I can honestly look at both of you and say, I don't know of any business we ever lost. As a matter of fact, we started the, 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 we started just pounding the pavement and getting more and more work. And we were so busy. I don't think if we did lose business, I noticed it because the compounding effect it was having raising our prices, I was able to bring in more revenue. I was bringing in better people. I was bringing in better equipment. I was educating myself quicker. It was so many things that happened along that journey of that price transition that I, I'd never looked back. I never even thought that was a bad decision. And so I've constantly increased my prices since. And our, our minimum price is even higher now. And no one you know, bats an eye. And I know the type of service that we're delivering, the quality of service we're delivering is better than it was and therefore I have every right to demand that type of price. And plus there was COVID. So we jacked the prices up a lot then. <laughs> yeah. As, as you had to No, I mean, that's a great point because it, like, obviously you do have to have that, that level of service that you're providing in order to do that. But like so many times we sell ourselves short of like, just like, Oh, no way we could raise prices on this or like, Oh, we can't get it in, in this market. And it, for a lot of owners, like that's not the case. You know, yeah, it's just not the case. Like, would you it, like it sounds like that was a like a pivotal moment in like your was. sign career? Like, it, would you say that's like the turning point for everything else to, to come? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, you know, I, I plan on. So all my companies right now are under an umbrella of sign enterprise. And so we, we've constantly separated those companies over the years and this this is the last year that elf pros will fall under the umbrella and so it will go on its own here uh next 2024 so in each case where i've started a new business now i i i look at the average market i look at the average market and i'm like what is what is what is the industry asking for what is the industry willing to pay and i take all that information i'm like okay everything based on the averages what can i do to make it better and then based on that, how can I charge more? And so when I started, just to give you an example, I started my Christmas light business four years ago. We started out the highest priced Christmas light installer in the area. 
and and we've increased our prices in the last four years. To this day, we're the highest price. We actually have guys that are pricing the same type of work that we are doing for a third of the price. And I know this because it's very, that industry is, it's not as broad as the sign industry. There's only a certain type of applications. And so right. the pricing margins are very transparent and people put that stuff out there. And so a lot of people tell us, you know, we're the most expensive and we understand that's not our type of clientele. But here's the thing, the type of service we're delivering and the experience that people get with that service is is not even comparable. And we know that. We know the type of quality, the product that we're using. We know that a lot of the manufacturers of products that they're using are just outsourced overseas, which most of the LED products are. It's just you got to know the different things about diodes, chips. You got to know different things about casings, the type of wiring you're using. And I know all that stuff. So when I am delivering a product to my client, I'm guaranteeing that this is the most premium product you can get your hands on right now. When a lot of the guys, they don't know enough information to know the difference between that bulb and the next bulb. And so yeah. then on top of that, the type of service we're giving them is exceptional. You know, it's, it's, it's the Starbucks of the Christmas light industry. You know, we're going to go out of our way to perform and give them this, you know, this ambiance of ideas and gets the Christmas spirit growing. And, and, and we do so many things. Like one of the things we do is every year we go back to the, um, to, to the customer's home a couple of days before Christmas. So we're actually doing this in a week and, uh, we'll deliver, uh, I don't know if you've heard of nothing but cakes, but, uh, we do all their signage. So I made a deal with the owners and we, we do a little barter there and, so we deliver bunt cakes to all of our customers. So we deliver hundreds oh, of bunt wow. cakes. And of course we have a mascot with the elf pros theme and his name is Winky. Yeah. And so we show up in the mascot with the bunt cake and uh. the kids love it. And it's just that kind of exceptional experience that people expect nowadays because we live in a world of experiences, whether it's online, whether it's in person. And I read this book years ago, it's called the, um, the experience economy. Um, and, and Joseph Pine wrote that book. And the, the idea is to kind of turn your business into the same concept that Di Walt Disney turned Disney World into. Yep. It's like yeah. to make everything an experience. And so when you go to Walt, you know, when you go to Disney, anybody that's been to Magic Kingdom, it's quite the experience, right? And it doesn't matter if you're four years old or if you're 40 years old, the experience is grand and you're going to enjoy yourself. And so we try to do the same thing within every industry I own. Yeah. And when you do that, like the price doesn't matter, right? Because, no, I, you know, like I, I've taken my kids to Disney several times and like my wife and I have like, you know, obviously like it's an expensive proposition. Like, you know, you know, no, going absolutely. well into it, like, like, hey, this is going to take a nice chunk of change to do what we want to do. But like when you're in the moment, like you don't blink an eye about it. Like, yeah. you know, to to see it, like the look on your kids' faces or, or just have that that experience, as you mentioned, like. Like the money doesn't matter at that point. And like, how do you guys, how do you work that into like the sign side? Right. Because so the on, on the Christmas light, you're, you're selling to consumers, you know, they, they want to, you know, impress their own families, impress the neighbors, you know, spread Christmas cheer, all of that. But like, how do you work some of that experience magic into the sign industry? So that is the challenge, right? Cause it's not the same. You're dealing with, you're dealing business to business. You're not dealing with the, the, you know, the homeowner who you get to see, you know, the, the joy on her face when you push the button. It's like, you know, we always, always think of ourselves as like, um, what is it? Chevy Chase's Christmas, whatever that one was called. <laughs> <laughs> we plug it in. It's like, we always do that. We make the homeowner come out. Come watch this. I'm always waiting for that one where it doesn't work. Good, um, yeah. But, you know, you get to see the response because when we deliver the cakes, when we send the emails out, when we do the things on social media, I mean, on our on our Elf Pros um, uh, Facebook page, we're getting 50,000 engagements a week right now. And so during Christmas, wow. that's phenomenal. I mean, that's that's a lot of and that's local, by the way, that's a local engagement. So that's that's a phenomenal amount of engagement in one week. Whereas in the sign business, I'm lucky if I get 50,000 engagements in a year. So it's like, <laughs> right. yeah. it's like, okay, how do you, how do you, yeah, you made a sign. Who, big deal. <laughs> yeah. So how do you create that type of experience? So it's definitely, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's definitely something I haven't injected into the mold of the sign industry as much, but it's something I'm definitely thinking about. How can I 
create more of this experience factor in the sign industry. One of the ways I have done that is, and I will tell you, we do work for some of the biggest companies in the United States, and we actually do work for some of the biggest sign companies. And the one company who's you know one of the more recognized companies in the industry, they 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 send us a lot of work. And they they recently told us uh, one one of the PMs called me, and I guess he needed he needed a favor. And so he got my number. He called me. He said, look, I really need a favor from y'all. And your PM said, y'all can't do it. So I'm hoping you'll help me. Someone told me to call you. So I'm talking to him and he goes, wow. He goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been with this company for 32 years. And he goes, you have the highest rating. And I've only seen this high rating one time across the board with other sign companies. He said, we have a rating system and you, your company has the highest rating in our system you can possibly get. And he says, I've only seen it one other time in 32 years. So in my opinion, I'm like, okay, we're creating a great experience for people by just communicating well, because I feel like that's what we do really well is our communication factors mm. are, are, are prevalent in every meeting. Like, how did we do here? What did we not do well? You know, how can we fix, fix this? And we put systems in place. So my, my opinion is everything, every reaction should have a response. So everything that happens now needs, you know, we need to, we need to, whether it's a negative thing that happened or a positive thing, now we need to respond to that. What's the response to that? And so when we have a, an exceptional install, everything goes exactly as planned. You know, when we let the customer know, hey, this was an exceptional install. This is a, everything happened just as planned. If things don't happen as planned, you know, we let them know. We let them know that, hey, there were some, you know, barriers. There were some things, obstacles, but we got through it and, 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 and we finished the job and we got it complete and everything looks great. And so we, we communicate often. We, we, we're a big com uh, proponent of using things like company cam. I don't know if a lot of your clientele mm. is using that, but we use company cam, you know, I, I think I, 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 in my sleep, I'm getting pictures from people. Like, literally, <laughs> my, I, I, company cam is going off the rails with us right now. It's, it's like we use it in all of our businesses, but that information is information that the PM can instantly get updates on the job, send it to the customer. The customer is being told in real time how things are going on a job. I mean, the customer really that we're speaking to might be in Texas, but their location might be here local. And so for them, that kind of feedback and that type of communication is, is unparalleled to most people in the industry. I'm not saying there's not other people using company cam. It's just the way we use it, I think, is, is, is not the norm. And so yeah. that type of instant communication, constant communication has been the exceptional experience that we've been delivering thus far in the sign industry. I, I'd love to hear you say that because that like communication is like one of the biggest fail points or break points or where just things fall apart that I've seen for a lot of shops that, that we've had on the podcast, you know, like Pete and I have done a, a couple of uh, interviews with, with uh, shop owners where things are just falling apart because of communication issues. Like, Hey, we're, we're not passing the torch correctly to the next department or communicating back to the client. Um, but client communication being like the most prevalent one of like, Hey, here's all the details of the project. We're just going to squirrel ourselves away for a couple of days, come back with an estimate, like, Hey, do you want it or not? And then like, Oh, Hey, here's the mock-ups that we created. Boom, boom, boom. Then you don't hear from somebody else. Like, yeah. You know, what, what kind of systems do you guys have in place for that? Like what, like, how did you get to that point? You know, it was like, so obviously, you know, I would say aside that, from company cam, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things we use. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even familiar with some of the apps that we're using now because there's some that we're using that have been implemented by the leadership here that I'm not, I don't even know how to use them. We're using a product now called Chirp and I'm not even familiar with how it works, but it's basically, it's a communication with the customer through text, you know, and it constantly is giving them, you know, updates. And it's obviously at the end of the job, it's letting them know the job's done. It's communicating to them how well did we do. So we're getting that feedback. Generally speaking, uh, people are more prone to um, communicate more. Well, I say, generally speaking, I'm not the best when it comes to texting, according to my wife. <laughs> so, so, so I'm more of a phone call type of guy. But I think the general population is used to communicating quickly and, and responding promptly with a text. So that's where Chirp comes in. Is And, you know, when you think about the sign industry, at least I haven't thought about it until we started using this particular um, software. 
is that we normally were communicating through email. Email. And to me, that's a slow communication anyways because, you know, the person's gone for the day. I've always – so when I was the technician, when I was in the field, my system was pick up the phone after I'm done with the job. Hey, your, your sign job's done. You know, take one picture, send it to them. You're good. Now there's this whole other system, right? There's 100 pictures that go with that job. There's constant communication, email, phone calls, text messages. And I think that's, you know, some of the things that we've implemented over the years that have been probably different than maybe what the normal sign company is doing. Um, I know that some of the other softwares that we're using aren't even relevant to the sign industry. Um, some of the some of the things that we're, we're using are kind of things that we would use in other industries. And we've merged them over into the industry here. The other thing that you know, we we like to do is we like to know ourselves what our staff is doing on an hourly basis. Like we want to know what's going on. And so we evaluate each job every day. When it comes in, they have the paperwork they turn in and all that gets uploaded onto the computers. There's spreadsheets that we have that all that data is uh, input by uh, an, an individual and it goes to the PMs and the PM can see, okay, did we allocate enough time for each of those jobs. I feel like one of the things in the sign industry, and you know, we, we still struggle with this time at times. Our estimator has this idea that a job is going to take eight hours. It's a full day's worth of work, two crews, four men on the job. And then it turns out the job took 12 hours. Well, 12 hours, four times four extra hours. That's a lot of overtime. That's a oh, yeah. whole other day's worth of work for a whole crew. And so you can lose a lot of money that way. And so one of the things that we constantly are doing is evaluating how we're pricing things. And are our guys communicating to us? Because, you know, it, you guys have been in the sign industry long enough to know. It's like n most jobs are not what you, no matter how good of a site survey you do, they're not what you thought they were until you start exposing things. And so then all of a sudden you, you, run, into, you run into problems. And so one of the things that is on our contracts is we make sure this is very specific and they sign it, is that, hey, th all this pricing is based on normal conditions. And we actually talk about drywall, behind the wall, you know, exposed walls versus non-exposed walls. We talk about hitting rock. We talk about things that you're going to run into in the, in the case that you do run into them, that you already have that in there in your contract. So we do a lot of change orders, but that all that the change order is only effective if you communicate up front and all that language is in yeah. your contract. And so you have to do that. So I'd like to interject here for just a quick minute and uh, ask a couple of questions because Ryan's been asking all of the questions. Dude, I, yeah, man, I, I, was, I was waiting for you. Man. And I'm sitting here just with waiting for an opportunity. So I have some, I have a couple of points here. I'd like to ask about, I would like to, I would like to actually ask a very direct question here. Uh, in your opinion, you've gotten to five to, I think you said you're going to do seven million dollars this year, so we'll use that number here. So you're seven million dollars. That's the that's the sign company, but our combined companies will probably do close to ten. Okay, so the sign company's doing seven million, right? And you just mentioned a really interesting piece here that comes up a lot on our calls, and and certainly a lot in my meetings with my clients, is that do you find it that you're not I, one of two reasons. If you're questioning your pricing, I, I find it that it's one of two reasons. So I'm going to ask you very direct. Which one do you think in your business is something that affects your company? Is it not charging the right rate or not charging the right amount of hours? Mm. Well, let me put it to you this way. I might not be able to answer your question, but I might answer it in a different way. So a lot of installs are specific to how many hours are you working on those jobs. But we do not price jobs based on hours, okay? So let me give you an example, and I, I, I've preached this to a lot of sign guys I know. So when you're doing work for other sign companies, they wanna know your hourly rate. And I, I won't go into specifics, but we have one contract, and it's a million dollar contract a year. We do a million just for this one client. They make us document. So they have their own system. We have to, when we get to the job site, and they and this is tracked. I mean, they, they got GPS capability. They'll know if we're there. They'll know when we leave. 
So when we get on the site, we have to log into their system. We're on site. We have to then fill out their own spreadsheet yep. that's different than ours. Have to dot, you know, fill in all the dotted lines. And then when we leave, we have to clock out. So we, we register out and we leave the site. They want us to only use the hours that we worked for that job to be to be billed. Is, is that how a lot of your clients are? Or is this just one no, specific one? No, no. This is one client, but they're they're, they're probably our first or second largest client. I mean, they're they're up uh, there. So this one client required this. So just to give you a backstory on this, I bought I bought a company uh, a few years ago that had been around for a hundred years, and that was their biggest client. When I looked at how they did this, I had a problem with that, and here's why: it's because first off, I pay my installers a lot more than local installers get paid. I have the best working for me. I also have the best equipment. I mean, if you go outside. All of our trucks are 2017 or newer. You know, they're all five years old or younger. And we have good equipment. We also are fully outfitted. We have some of the best tools and we have some of the best training, I feel, that the industry can allow. And so when our guys go out, I'm confident that they're going to do it in a fraction of the time than most installers. So why should I be penalized knowing that I'm going to get it done in a fraction of the time because I'm providing the better equipment because I'm providing the better installer. So I've gotten far away from now we have our hourly rate internally, right? So we have our internal hourly rate. When someone calls us off, you know, say it's just a random store owner who has lights out, we give them a minimum charge and we tell them it's a two hour minimum rate. That's a little different, but when we're pricing jobs for installs or we're pricing jobs of our own that we're manufacturing and installing, we're pricing on what the value of that job is worth to us. So a lot of the jobs, if you were to do it hourly, you would only get paid like 600 bucks, but we're getting paid 1800. And it's just because we're doing it in three hours versus, you know, a whole day. Okay. And so we know this going into it. So. We, I feel like most guys are not doing it this way because I've talked to a lot of sign guys. Now, I don't know what y'all, y'all have experienced a lot more here recently with your podcast and the, the circles you guys are in. I don't know what you guys are seeing, but I'm seeing guys are still doing everything based on the hour. That's what I've been seeing. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that it's very normal to be reliant on time and materials. It's a, it's a, there is a formula, there is a calculation to how to become profitable. I think for my question here, it was more, you, you're not a $500,000 a year company. You're not a million dollar a year signed company. And there are a lot of our clients, a lot of our listeners here are in that world of 2 million or a sub 2 million gross operation where they're struggling. Like, what is, why am I working my butt off here? And, and at the end of the day, I have nothing to show for it other than my bills being paid. And um, I basically bought myself a job. And there's been a lot of messages here of, well, maybe you're not charging enough and, or maybe you're not charging enough hours or you're undervaluing how long projects are going to take. It is interesting to hear how a shop like yours is saying, I'm pricing based off of internal value. Uh, I would say that that's not the normal. I, I like, I love it. I have met shops that do that. I think Brian and I have a, a colleague here that we know of. I remember thinking of one off the top of my head that this sign is going to last you 20 years. So it's, I'm putting a crazy price on this project because that's what it's worth to you, the customer. Lots of mm -hmm. lots of really interesting theories around pricing. Uh, I wanted to, before we got too far ahead, I wanted to ask my second question here. Uh, and you alluded to this, sign, doing a change order and, and having that ability of pivoting uh, if the job went outside the boundaries of a normal uh, scope of work. Now, that is hard to do, right? I would say that that's hard to do if you've never mentioned it before the, the, the job commenced, right? If you're mentioning it lit midway through or even after the job is over, it's a hard sell. So what are you doing in the beginning to communicate that to your customer on, you know, if this happens, it's going to be this price. I mean, after all, it is they are called estimates, right? So this is your estimate. And it's estimated it could be this way, but if it doesn't, it could be X, Y, and Z. How do you navigate those waters? 
So I think the biggest thing is the upfront contract is we, we emphasize the details in the bottom and we make them assign it. And we are very specific to, to indicate the fact that this is just an estimate and it's based on normal conditions. So we know specifically the two things that we run into are when we're digging a hole, if we're going to run into rock, if we're going to run into boulders, if we're going to run into some type of obstructive device that our equipment won't dig through, then we're going to have a problem. As, as a matter of fact, recently we were in the mountains of Virginia and we were digging and we didn't even make it two inches and we we're hitting like a boulder. And it ended up costing us, our cost was $16,000 to drill through that, that rock. Original cost for that to the customer was $3,500 to drill that hole and put the foundation in. So we would have lost our tail on that had we not had the language we had. And so the customer understood it. It was a gas station. They understood it. They realized that they wanted to sign there. They were going to have to deal with it. I feel like the other thing that you run across more often than not is obviously most of the surveys, and a lot of times we're not surveying some of these jobs because we're getting 20 locations at a time. They want a simple survey just for measurements. We don't get into the inside of the office space because they don't want us disrupting their, their work at the time. So we might pull out a drop ceiling tile or something just to see what's behind there, but we still don't know exactly what's behind that wall. And I would say on a weekly basis, we're running into you know, obstacles on channel letter jobs where you can't necessarily just throw the whip in and pull it through the wall. There's, there's I-beams in the way. There's, you know, there's separations of, of, of roofs and, 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 and uh, the, the office space. And there's just things sure. that are unforeseen. And in those cases, we always contact the client immediately. So it's our job to communicate to our PMs you know, the installer is supposed to communicate to the PM immediately when they realize this. The first thing our guys are supposed to do is go inside and start drilling. And one guy's on the inside, one guy's on the outside and see what we're up against. And as soon as yep. possible, the earlier you let us know, the better. And the sooner you can communicate that, normally we're not charging a lot more. You know, it might be an extra two hours worth of work. Nine out of 10 times, you're not going to have disruption in the job because of that. There are a few instances, a few times a year where someone's like, well, we don't have the, the PO is what it is. We gave you our full budget on that. We don't have any room. We've got to go back to the client. It's going to take a little bit. So then we give them an option. Well, if we have to leave the job site and come back, it's even going to cost an extra 600 bucks on top of that or whatever the case may be. So all of a sudden that changes the conversation. They were like, okay, you know what? We're going to just accept the responsibility on this. Go ahead and do it. And so I can think of very few instances where we've had to leave the job site. Most of the time they're going to pay for it because they're going to have much, you know, much more coming to them if they don't. And it's going to be yeah. more difficult to get the job done later. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Hey, like to me, like the story here is just like, you guys are way more prepared than the average shop for all scenarios. Like we've got a communication plan in place for anything. I basically like, Hey, it, if somebody loses a shoelace on the job or like, Hey, like, like we've, we've got a, an action plan for it. I don't know if we're that good. Cause we were just talking about that earlier where we have found that, you know, we need to have an inventory of truck equipment because sporadically equipment ends up missing on a job site mm. and things come off a, a truck, you know, we've got to have a system for that. But this is, I mean, this is part of the growing pains, right? I mean, one of the advantages to owning other businesses in different industries is you you get exposed to other ideas, right? And so I will say that a lot of the ideas complement the sign industry. I would say they actually would be better in the sign industry than the current industry they're in. I'm like, wow, why is the sign industry not familiar with this? Like the landscape lighting industry, I learned a technique and something in the landscape uh, industry that allowed for me to do things quicker and easier and cheaper in the sign industry. And so... I think it's, you know, I don't know, maybe I, being a serial entrepreneur can have its, it, its, its cons too, but I feel like there's more pros to it just because I get exposed to a lot of different ideas from different worlds. And those worlds might not even have any relevance to the sign industry. It just turns out most of what I'm in is related to the sign industry because I'm in lighting or manufacturing of some sort. But I have learned as much, if not more, from people outside of our industry when it comes to ideas to implement within our industry. Mm -hmm.
And I feel like sometimes we're so consumed with the ideas of the guys in our industry. And not saying that that's a bad thing. By the way, I think it's a great thing you guys are doing. But even interviewing out, interviewing people outside of the industry might be an option, you know, or something where someone's just successful in business, bringing them onto the podcast because that's where I've gotten a lot of my intellect and my knowledge. Because I'm definitely I'm as blue collar as they come. I grew up on a farm. Problem solving was like kind of my go to, <laughs> but problem solving for me was an everyday occurrence. I'm like, there's got to be better ways, and it was systems. It was like implementing systems. For everything. Yeah, so problem solving, yeah, a huge thing. Like, you know, we've got probably just a few minutes remaining. I definitely want to touch on that side of it, man, because you, you've got all these different businesses, but yet when I look at them and when you describe them, they all complement each other very well. And, and like the big question that I had coming into it was, was this in, was that intentional? Like, did you do that by design or was it just like a, like a Bob Ross, like happy accident type of thing? <laughs> Well, so I'm probably not your traditional business owner. I did not go to school for business. Um, my major was criminal justice. I had no foundation of or understanding of how to run a business. I, I was very passionate about, at the time, vinyl graphics. I, I mean, it sounds so simple, not so complex, but at the time it was, right? Because vinyl was still kind of a newer thing too, you know, and in the nineties. I mean, I, I remember when I bought out Dowling sign, which was a hundred year old company, I, ha I have one employee who has worked in the sign industry for 50 years. Wow. He's 70 years old. He started in the business 20 years and he can tell you every story about the advances in technology. And it's an interesting story. Let me tell you, his interview <laughs> would be much better. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> But he, you know, he would tell me of all the advances. And I think to myself, I remember when I specifically was doing the airbrushing, and I'm sure you guys have seen those old methods where the guys would airbrush the vinyl first, then go cut it, and you had to align everything perfectly. And it, it was quite the task. But, you know, the, the reality is I did all those things because I loved it. I was passionate about it. And then when I became, I, I guess, a successful business owner in the sign industry, I figured some things out that I was like, you know what? I enjoy building something from nothing to something. So I started some other companies and then I saw some struggling businesses and I had some rapport with some of the owners of those businesses. So they had reached out to me. What are you doing that I'm not doing? And next thing you know, I'm buying those companies out. And when I saw the things they weren't doing, it really shocked me. I was like, you know, it doesn't take it. A rocket scientist, because I'm definitely not one, to figure out that you have a communication problem. You have a personnel problem. I mean, when when your guys, I mean, so I have a no smoking policy at, at work. That sounds really like that's going out on a limb in the sign industry, right? <laughs> <laughs> I saw on some of the group pages that conversation got brought up and I was like, you know, people probably wouldn't want to work for me. But the reality is, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of smokers that work here, right? I mean, I would say probably a third of the staff probably smokes. Um, I don't know who all of them are, but I know who a few of them are. But the the fact is, what we found is that it was distracting from the things that need to get done during the day. And it wasn't a professional outlook. We were actually had complaints at times where the installers were going out on job sites and leaving the cigarette butts. And, you know, it's just unprofessional. And I, couldn't, I really couldn't control it because I was saying, guys, this is a bad business practice. Don't do this. Guess what? A right. week later, I'm getting a call. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, yeah. And and so what I found is that there was no labor laws that told set, indicated that I couldn't do this. And when I looked into it, a lot of big businesses do it. As a matter of fact, the federal government does it. So, you know, they have no smoking policies, you know. And so what I implement it is that, hey, is, while you're on the clock, while you're driving our trucks, while you're on job sites, while you're in our facilities, you're not allowed to smoke. On your breaks in designated areas, you're allowed to smoke. And I can tell you this, that changed the 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 pendulum a little bit because all of a sudden I started attracting certain individuals that were like, you know what, I want to work around guys that are just passionate about this business, love this business, and want to get something done. I'm I'm you know, and I found that people shared the same type of passion I did. Even though they weren't the owner, they 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 loved the industry. And so people all of a sudden just were like a magnet to my company. And so we attracted really good, you know, um, employees. And on top of that, we attracted people outside of the industry 
I quit. That's another thing, by the way. If I ever was going to suggest, if I was going to start anywhere with some of these guys that, you know, maybe are struggling, don't always look within the industry. I did that for so long, and that was the kryptonite that I didn't realize was like hindering me from growing because I was bringing in someone with bad habits. And I'm not saying don't hire within. I'm just saying look outside. There might be good people out there that are worth hiring and can learn just about anything we do. So I would definitely suggest that going back to your 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 conversation with me earlier, Peter, is I would have a hard look at the pricing that most people are looking at. And are they looking at it as like, this is what Fast Times is charging? This is what Joe Signs Joe's is charging? Down the street, is that what yeah. they're looking at? Are they just average pricing? Or are they really looking at what they are doing on a daily basis to put out a good product? Are they, are do they really understand the, what it costs to do business? Because if they're just looking at the averages and everyone calls fast science because they're like the model, right? They have a huge, you know, they have a, a, a few huge, uh, uh, platform to work off of when it comes to average pricing. But the reality is I'm probably not going to compete with them in certain areas when it comes to pricing. And so I don't use them as my model for pricing. I want to deliver a particular product to a t particular client. And I want to make sure I understand my cost to do that. And when I do, then I have to understand the markups to be successful. And the markups, everybody is like, oh, just 50%. You know, I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 50% won't get you anywhere. So, no. Yeah, I love that. Um, because, it, you know, when you think about it, when it boils down to it, the same product, the same sign to a different client holds a different value. So there's two sides of the coin. And that's definitely one of the things that, that we preach. Like you have to know your numbers. Like what does it cost to actually deliver this? But the rest of it is up for interpretation, right? Depending on who the client is or what the job is, you know, are you dealing with Joe's pizza down the street that has one location? Or are you dealing with a, like a national chain of pizza shops? Yeah. You know, yep. like, like their tolerance as far as price is totally different. I'll tell you and, too, that something that really helped me is when I was doing a job for a larger corporation, they sent me the sign package. So it was a modeled sign package that every location had to do. And I asked specifically, I said, what is your budget for this? And they told me what corporate's budget guidelines are for those signs. I was blown away. It was actually the opposite of what you would think. It was much higher than what I would have originally priced it at. Then I realized I was selling myself short. I was, that was like the a moment for me where I was like, wow, if they're doing this all over the country, then how am I selling myself this short when I live in an area where I know is growing and can afford it? And so right. I realized I was undervaluing myself. And then I started understanding what it costs to really do business too, because all the time <laughs> yeah. I was just average pricing. And I was like, obviously I'm putting a lot more emphasis on the quality of the product. I'm delivering a better product, but yeah, I'm pricing like the guys down the street. That's not that's not a good way to to run a business. Uh, well, uh, I think we're about at time. I, I don't want to keep you, Paul. I know you're super busy. I would love to do this again sometime soon, man. Because it, like, I feel like we could chat for days about it. Yeah. Um, what's hey, one question that we always ask everybody to kind of wrap things up? Like, what's what's the future for you for your business? Like, is you know, you've got a soapbox here. Like, is there anything you want to? to say to the audience or do you want to close with? Well, I have six kids. <laughs> so my goal, <laughs> my goal right now is to get them out of school and, you know, starting their own careers. And, um, you know, my focus right now isn't on retirement or what to do, you know, uh, 20 years from now, my focus really is to just continue to build the businesses so they can run themselves. I, I, I'm very blessed. I don't have to go into the sign shop. I do it because I love going into the sign shop. I, I, it took me years to figure out the model of allowing myself to not be the guy that had to be there. And that to me is the key. If any, I don't care if you are running a $2 million shop or a $20 million shop, it wouldn't matter to me. I think you need to set that as your goal, make it so you don't have to be there 24 seven. I ran myself ragged and Peter, I believe you, you, you've owned your own company yourself and you know, you guys know all too well how you can be a slave to the business. Oh, yeah. and it's all consuming, all no. consuming. And, and, and I don't know if you guys know this or aware of this or not. The suicide rate is higher for business owners than it is for an average employee. The divorce rate is higher. 
And there, there's a reason for that. And it's because we become so attached to the business. And, you know, we're all, we all, as, as, as men, we want to provide for our families. I think that's probably my goal ultimately, right? That's, I mean, before being successful and being a millionaire and all these things, I want to be a provider to my family. I want to make sure they have a home. I want to make sure they have food on the table. So 100%. you think when you're, you think when you're at work, you know, at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, midnight and i i'm not going to ask because i already know the answer all of you have probably at some point done the all-nighter and i feel constantly <laughs> regretful for those times i did that because i didn't know what i didn't know and it was just simple little things i had to implement changes within my own business it was all self-inflicted the reason i was staying at work after five o'clock and when i made my priority i i time blocked so i said you know what if my priority is my family then I'm going to make sure the majority of my time is contributed to them on a weekly basis. And I would encourage anyone who's struggling with that to, to whatever you got to do. If you got to get up an hour earlier, if you've got to force yourself to leave an hour earlier, whatever you've got to do, start time blocking your time for your family. And it will force you. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have uh, done this yourself when you've gone to, to Disney. When you know you're leaving the next week for a vacation, you're able to get a lot more work done that week mm -hmm. because you know you don't yep. want to have to deal with it on vacation. Well, you just got to learn how to do that on a weekly basis. How can I get more work done in less time so I can, you know, attribute the majority of my time to my family? And so that's that's what I would encourage anyone to do. That's what I've done. That that has allowed me to open these other businesses and continue to do that. But I'm never I'm never at a point where I've become complacent and say, Oh, I figured it out. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> I'm still learning, you know, listening to like your podcasts and other podcasts that are out there getting as much education. Cause guess what? Next week you might have a guest on here that might give me that idea that I've never thought of and save me yep. another hour of my week. So that's all it takes. And that's the reason why we do what we do. Even if it, you're probably not the average viewer, the average listener is not going to sit here and listen to an hour worth of knowledge. They might grasp, a, a nugget here or two and, and and that's why i do it because i i come away with every one of these episodes and and, and, I, and i've learned here something here today uh but but again i've seen peter's notes man They're if like, you're if each you're, episode after he's done if you're listening to this and, and you're thinking like how do, how do i grow myself to a five ten million dollar company you probably could learn a lot from just listening to what you've discussed here today paul so I wanted to say thank you for coming on. This has been great for me. Uh, I, I think we should definitely have you on again. And, and and let's talk some more about some of these businesses that you have. Maybe you'll be in another business by then. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> happy to have you on here. And thanks for jumping on our uh, on the Better Sign Shop podcast here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you guys do. Keep keep doing it. And uh, I, I wish you the best. When's the When's the announcement on the lighting company? So before I say, okay. So before right. I say, yeah, for sure. So are you guys uh, going to be there? That's the plan. Okay. Well, but but we'll definitely <laughs> keep us on the loop on that. Um, happy to spread the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be good. I can tell you this. I've only been doing that for a little period of time here and it is a money maker for sign guys. I mean, really, truly, I'm not just saying that because I'm about to push the product. It, it, it is something that sign guys can do in their sleep. It really is. Awesome. I look forward to it. Paul, thanks for coming on, man. All right, guys. Fountain of Take knowledge. Care. Super excited we could do this. Yeah. See ya. Thank you very much. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, man. All right, guys, that's the episode. Wow, what a doozy. Um, I, I feel like we could have probably talked to Paul for like three days at a time here. But uh, Pete. Rapid fire takeaways. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about the obvious one. The obvious one being how easy it is to get into the lighting business. I'm not too familiar with this area, but as somebody who has taken my service, my sign service vehicles and used them to hang my own Christmas lights, I mean, like, yeah, if you can make a business <laughs> out of that, uh, that sounds phenomenal. I'm sure we could have gotten into like all the processes and you know, it is a totally different business model, and I would have liked to have heard a little bit more, come to think of it, on, you know, how he structures that business versus his sign business, you know, how different those worlds could be. But ideally, you buy the supply, you use your truck, you put on another shirt, 
you go outside and you hang some lights on people's on people's houses, and then you got to go and take those lights down. I think that that's part of the model too. If I had to guess, it's a, it's not just installing; it's removing. So, you know, what do those rates look like? And I think it could be a great money maker for a lot of shops with with bucket trucks. If you have more than one, it's a great way to get them out into the service area and start making some money. Yeah. Yeah, it's super excited about that side of it. Or yeah, I wish we had more time to dive into that. But uh, for me, I think the the biggest takeaway is Paul was just like, "Hey, this guy imparted the wisdom on me. I need to double my prices. Like, let's not waste time on it. Like, I, I go back and double my prices, right? Like for me, I, I think like increasing your pricing. I, I don't think we've talked to a shop owner yet that we weren't like." Double. Oh yeah. Yeah. Double. Like, Hey, you need to increase your prices or you should increase your prices. Um, and what was I, that? I, I don't was think that I've price? ever given that advice. Like, no, you need to lower your prices because you're too high. Not once. Yeah. I, I don't think I can say, I think I could say the same, you know, maybe you'll deal with a client that's, or a shop owner that's 10% lower than they should be 15% lower than they should be, but double. I mean, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of guts. It also takes a lot of self-awareness. Like he seemed pretty confident in the quality of his work. You know, yeah. and he's, he, some of the other takeaways, just minor ones for me, where he did say that he's like the top paying sign shop in the area. So he only hires the best, you know, and that that is interesting. That is interesting. If you're going to be that top paying guy, you got to produce the best, but you also got to charge the, the most. So there are some balances to that that uh, I would love to ask him on our, on our next time but he was a great guest a great entrepreneur a great uh sign shop owner and uh i think a lot of our shop listeners here can can learn from from paul and, and what we've discussed here today all right let's let's take it out guys that's the episode if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast hit us up at hey at better and if you are a shop owner join our community it's free we have a Facebook group. Uh, there'll be a URL somewhere in the description. Like it's free for owners and leadership of sign companies. Uh, we screen all, everybody that comes through the door. So it is a safe space to talk about all these things we talk about on the podcast, except you could talk about your own business. And that's it. Um, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. So that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to give one final shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Printing, grand format printer to the trade. GCI is not your average print shop. They pride themselves on providing you a fast, stress-free experience when outsourcing. Their no excuses mindset means no matter the job, they'll have it done every time. No other vendor will go to the links that GCI does to ensure you're a satisfied customer. To hear more about their approach to business, hop back into the archives to episode 9, where the guys and I interview owner TJ Bedact about top-tier customer experience. If you're looking for a high-quality trade printer for banners, mesh, coreplast, and more, TJ and his crew are small, GCI does them all. Check them out at printgci.com. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.